0: why would any christian not believe in keeping the ten commandments you ever thought about that i mean you know i can understand prison inmates or something like that believing they shouldn't keep the ten commandments or something like that because of the society in which they live you know breaking the law is what got them into trouble in the first place but why would a person who calls himself christian actually say i don't have to keep the ten commandments well just recently i was looking at a religious forum And it said this, it said, no Christian is under the law of Moses. It ended when Jesus nailed it to the cross and faded away during the life of the apostles. Now, I personally have zero tolerance for people who call themselves Christian and believe they don't have to keep the Ten Commandments. And the reason is very simple, because if you were just to ask a logical question like, should a Christian should a people, should a society, should a Christian nation keep the Ten Commandments, who would raise their hand and stand up and say, no, no, they should not? I mean, who in their right mind would say that? Now, I'm going through a series of of programs entitled Excuses Christians Use for Not Keeping the Ten Commandments. And what happens, what they do is they'll, they'll take a favorite scripture, and I'm going through a lot of these favorite scriptures that people use, that, that Christians use to say they don't have to keep. In other words, they'll point to the Bible and they'll say, look, this is the reason I don't have to keep the commandments. is that really in the bible presents the teaching ministry of david freeman okay the one we're going through today is colossians 2 and verse 14 it says blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us which was contrary to us and took it out of the way nailing it to his cross and so the way this is viewed is that you know these Nasty, rotten laws were the handwriting of or ordinances that was against us and contrary to us, the Ten Commandments. And so Jesus took those Ten Commandments and he nailed it to his cross. Now, is this what this verse is talking about? You know, throughout the Bible, the Ten Commandments are never referred to as the handwriting of ordinances. Oh, I know you can take that verse and and say it means that, but make it fit. But it's, you know, the commandments are referred to as the Ten Commandments. You know, this verse does not say blotting out the Ten Commandments that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. You know, a lot of times you want to look at what the verse does not say. Does it say the Ten Commandments? No, it doesn't say that. Question, was the commandments given, the Ten Commandments given for the purpose of being against us and contrary to us? You know, so we look at this, as, as we look at the, you know, Exodus 20 and we summarize the, these commandments. Trust God only. Is, is that contrary? Is that against us? Uh, worship God only. Uh, use God's name in a way that honors him. Rest on the Sabbath day and think about God. Is that somehow contrary? Is that against us? Is that against people? Respect and obey your parents. How is that against us? How is that contrary to us? Protect and respect human life. Be true to your husband or wife. How is that contrary? Now, 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 maybe if you are a man whore or a woman whore, and you're running around doing something that is, you know, contrary to the law of God, you could go back and say, well, yeah, that's contrary to the way I live my life. You know, that's against the way I, I live my life. And, okay, I, I guess I understand that. Uh, do not take what belongs to others. Now, if you're a thief, you're doing something contrary to the law of God, and I guess you could say, well, the law is against me. It's, a, it's contrary. It's against what I want to do. Do not lie about others. Now, if you're a liar, I I can see how you might not like the law of God. Be satisfied with what you have. Now, the interesting thing is in Deuteronomy 32 and verse 45, it says this about the law of God. It says, and Moses made an end of speaking all these words to all Israel. And he said to them, set your hearts into all the words which I testify among you this day which you shall command your children to observe, to do all these words of this law. For it is not a vain thing for you, because it is your life. And through this thing you shall prolong your days in the land, whether you go over Jordan to to possess it. So what we find here is that the commandments are about life, giving you life now not eternal life that's not the purpose of that's not the purpose or the role of the law of god not to give you eternal life but it is for the purpose of making your life work right now in the flesh that's the reason god gives us his commandments so that you can have a functional society that works and then it says by doing this by keeping the law you're going to prolong your days and you think about it, okay, man, this, this sounds pretty good that, that I'm going to, I mean, th- this doesn't sound contrary to us. It doesn't sound against me that I'm going to prolong my, my days and my life is going to work. I mean, this, this sounds like good stuff. Well, over in Psalms 40 and verse 8, the psalmist will say, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart notice that his law is within his heart i mean is is that why would you take something and 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 bring it close to you if it's contrary if it's against us and i tell you if only one more christians thought like this and if, if we had more christians who could actually say i delight to do your will your law is within my heart wow we could change society if that was true Psalms 119 and verse 18, it says, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I mean, he looked at the law and and found wonderful things. He didn't find things that were contrary or against him. Psalms 119 and verse 97, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Now, why would you love something that is contrary to you, that is against you? Psalms 119 and verse 142. Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and thy law is the truth. Man, God's law is truth. Does that sound contrary? Why why would you call truth contrary to you and something that is against you? Of course, only if you hated the truth. I can understand that. Psalms 119 and verse 163. I hate and abhor lying, but thy law do I love. I mean, how could you love something that is contrary and against us? Now, there is one way that the law can be against us. And let me explain this. Let me go into this in a little bit more details here. First John 3 and verse 4 says this, Whosoever commits sin transgresses also the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. So what is sin? What's when you break the Ten Commandments? And when you break the Ten Commandments, it claims your life. There's a, a death penalty that hangs over your head for breaking God's law. So, yeah, in that sense, I clearly understand that it can be against us if you break it. But what was Jesus' answer to this problem when I break God's law, when I have committed sin? I mean, think about it. Okay, I have sinned. All right, what's the answer? What is Jesus' answer? Well, he died for my sins. Grace is the answer. I can be forgiven. I can repent of my sins, say I'm sorry, and truly be repentant, and make a decision not to repeat that nonsense again, and I can be forgiven by God's grace, freely given. Undeserved grace is the answer. Now, you know, so many people believe that the way Jesus dealt with our sin problem is to abolish the law. Does that make any sense? Does that make any sense? You know, Romans 4 and verse 4, 15 says, Because the law works wrath. Now, how does the law work wrath? Well, if you break it, it claims your life. That's how it, it's wrathful. You know, it, it's in that sense, you know, it, it can be against you if you break it. But the answer, God's answer, when we have sinned, is not, well, I'm going to abolish the law. No, that's not the answer. The answer is, I'm going to forgive you by his grace. But this continues on, because the law works wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression. Now, what does that mean? Where there is no law, there is no transgression. In other words, where there is no law, there is no sin. You can't get a ticket for running a stop sign if there is no stop sign. So if you abolish the law, there is no sin. Because where no law is, there's no law breaking. You can't break a law that doesn't exist. So if there is no sin because there is no law, then we don't need forgiveness, do we? We don't need Jesus. We don't need a Savior if, there is, if the law has been abolished. Because there's no law and there's is nothing that you can do that is wrong. Now that's, that's you know, that sort of explains in a nutshell when you, you start coming up against this teaching that the law's been nailed to the cross, it's been abolished, it's been done away with, and you suddenly realize wait a minute, if there is no law, then there's nothing I can do that's wrong. There is no sin. And we all know that, you know, we all know that that's not a true statement. We all know that there is sin in the world. Now, what does that tell you? If you can look around at your world and say, you know, what that person did, you know, that double homicide or that murder or whatever, you know, that's wrong, that's sin. What does that tell you? Well, it tells you the law hasn't been abolished. The law is still in existence because people are breaking laws. Christ did not die for our law-breaking in order to abolish the law that defines what law-breaking is. Imagine this conversation between God the Father and Jesus. The Father says to his son, look, I want you to go down there and die for their sins. I want you to die for their law-breaking. Now, once you die for their law-breaking, I'm going to abolish the law. Or maybe better, once, once you once you die for their law-breaking, I want you to abolish the law. And the son would turn to the father and say, well, why don't we just abolish the law to begin with? And that way I won't have to die for their law-breaking. Because where there is no law, there's no law-breaking. Now, the truth of the matter is, if, if if this, and I don't know if Christians actually think this stuff out or not. When they utter the words, you know the law's been abolished and it's been nailed to the cross and we're not under under the law. I, I don't know if 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 they actually think it out uh, it, with any type of human logic or not. All I see is just a bunch of proof texting, throwing scriptures back out back back and forth against one another and saying, well, no, this 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 proves right here that the law has been abolished. And I don't know if anyone actually sits down and starts thinking about this from a, from a logical perspective that if you abolish the law, you've just done away with sin in the world. And we know that simply cannot be true. You see, the truth of the matter is, you cannot abolish laws of morality. I mean, that's what the Ten Commandments are. They're, they're laws that define what morality is and how god expects us to live our lives and what the laws that make a society work the laws that make a person's life work laws of morality so you you cannot abolish laws of morality it's like trying to abolish the law of gravity you know i mean you could you could have preachers saying it the law of gravity has just been abolished right here it is in the bible and you could sign a decree and put a stamp, a seal of, you know, you could put a lawyer's uh, agreement that, okay, yes, this, is, this, is, this law is now in effect. The law of gravity has been abolished. But if you jump off a five story building, you know what's going to happen. You find out a little too late that the law of gravity was not abolished and is still in existence. So, you know, and, and okay, but so you cannot abolish laws of morality. You can live in ignorance and pretend they, they've been abolished, but you, you can't do that by just saying the words. So let's go back to this verse where people try to prove that the Ten Commandments have been done away with. Blot, Colossians 2 and verse 14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. What was the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us? Well, all you got to do is just jump down to verse 20, and you'll have your answer. Colossians 2 and verse 20. Wherefore, if you be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, though as though living in the world, are you subject to, to ordinances. Now there's the word ordinances. We're going to, the Bible's going to explain what these ordinances are. And all we had to do is just skip down to five verses below to find the meaning. Now, why small letter C Christians? Why are you so eager to find a scripture that says the law's been abolished and I don't have to keep it? Why? Can you answer that question? In other words, why is it in your heart of hearts this is what you desire more than anything? To prove and to keep throwing back scriptures back and forth and and taking your favorite scriptures that, that, that say to you, the law has been abolished. My question is, why do you desire? Why does your heart desire that? Now, I want to give you the answer. It's because of your carnal mind. The word of God describes you to a T. It's Romans 8 and verse 7. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Truth of the matter is, you have to find those verses. You have no other choice but to find those verses that seem to say the law's been done away with, the law's been abolished. And that's a scary thought when you think about you have no other choice but to do that. But it's because of your carnality. It's because you're lacking something called conversion. Because this verse tells us the natural way, the carnal mind, the natural way we all come into this world is carnal. And naturally, we're not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be the only thing that can make a difference is if god calls you and you surrender in unconditional surrender to the very thing that you despise and that is the law of god we despise authority in our lives we don't want that authority in our life and that's why we despise it we think it's against us we think it's contrary to us we're ignorant in other words and it's not until you actually re- repent in unconditional surrender and receive the Spirit of God. You see, receiving the Spirit of God is the only thing that's going to change that carnality where you go from despising, resenting, hating the law of God to loving the law of God. It is the Spirit of God that that's the only thing that will ever change you and it's not an overnight process. It's a lifelong process of coming to to love the law of god okay colossians 2 and verse 20 wherefore if you be dead with christ from the rudiments of the world why as though living in the world are you subject to ordinances now what are these ordinances that were contrary to us and and against us okay here they are colossians 2 and verse 21 touch not taste not handle not which are all to perish with the user using after the commandments and doctrines of men. So so what are these ordinances? What were these handwriting of ordinances that were against us and contrary to us? Well, it has to do with they are the commandments and doctrines of men. They're not God's law, for pity's sakes. Now, Christ refers to these humanly devised ordinances. Mark 7 and verse 6. He answered and said unto them, Well, has Isaiah prophesied of ye hypocrites, as it is written, These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Now here we have the connection. Here Jesus talked about this, and here we have in Colossians, Paul referring to the same thing. Colossians 2 and verse 22, which are all to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men. So we have identified the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, and it's not the Ten Commandments. If you think it was the Ten Commandments, you're not thinking. You're simply not thinking. Continuing on in Mark 7 and verse 8, Jesus said, For laying aside the commandments of God, you hold the traditions of men as the washing of pots and cups and many other such things that you do. You remember the the incident where Jesus, the scribes and Pharisees came to Jesus and they they had a question. This is found in Matthew 15, verse 2. They said, Now, why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. Now, this was a reference to the oral law of the Jews which was a long list of traditions of men of do's and don'ts and how far you could walk on the Sabbath day and what you could do and, and you know basically the oral law of the Jews was fence building around the Ten Commandments you know it, it just wasn't enough that you had the Ten Commandments they had to define every nuance of what you could and could not do now Jesus comes along and dismisses the oral law or the tradition of the elders, he dismisses the commandments and doctrines of men. Now, if you want to know what was nailed to the cross, here it is. It was the oral law of the Jews that separated Jew from Gentile. Continuing on in Mark 7 and verse 9, Jesus said, and he said to them, full well, you reject the commandments of God that you may keep your own traditions. Do we have any small letter C Christians that do this? Reject the commandments of God. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. And, you know, like I said, zero tolerance for people who call themselves Christians and believe they don't have to keep the Ten Commandments. Because, like I said, you know, if you ask, well, should a Christian, should a people, should a society, should a Christian nation keep the Ten Commandments? You know, like I said, who would say no? Who would say no? So what we have identified in this study that is that the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, that this verse in Colossians 2 and verse 14 is not referring to the Ten Commandments of God at all. It was simply the oral law of the Jews, the tradition and of the elders, it was their fence building around the law of God, that Christ that was nailed to the cross. It was that law, that traditions of the elders, the traditions and teachings of men that separated Jew from Gentile and would not allow them, the Gentiles, to have fellowship with God. Yeah, all that was nailed to Christ cross but it was not the ten commandments so as i said earlier who in their right mind would say yeah i believe that a christian a people a society a christian nation should not keep the ten commandments who would say that well there's only one person i can think of who would say that and that are that are christians who are simply playing church For more information, check us out online at IsThatReallyInTheBible.net. Listen to the podcast, watch the weekly program, worship with us on our weekly Sabbath service, and be sure to visit our free bookstore. Again, the website is IsThatReallyInTheBible.net.